do not understand it. Joe is getting absolutely disrespected at the moment. I think people need to look at his resume, mate. This is... <laughs> Joe ain't some mug, you know. He's boxed all over the world, different class of people, bangers, tall people, short people. I'm not seeing anything special in the... Yes, the bar can bang, but I'm not seeing anything overly special in Dubois that makes me think that Joe cannot handle this. I think Dubois is untested. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know what everyone's seen. I, I, it's, you lot have even got me questioning myself. I'm like thinking, what? Am I missing something? I just... I I cannot see any other result. Um, Joe's got a good chin. Yeah, all right, he takes some shots. He does, and I hope he doesn't. I hope they got the game plan right in terms of not making him do too much of that. But I just... Mate, I just... I think Joe's well and truly got it in the tank to deal with this kid. I really do. I, I... Right, listen. Mm. If you if you want to sort it out, fight me. You didn't fight me. You could have fought me and you didn't. If you want to fight me, here I am. Let's have a fight. Let's do it on the cobbles if you want. Forget boxing. Let's do it outside. When I fought Hatton, I knocked Hatton out with 10 hours gloves on. Stepping back when he was undefeated. In my prime, I spanked him. Yeah, How did he gonna be as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could have beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how easy that was. <laughs> and he better than us? Are you no, serious, no, James Tony? They call me the problem, but you could call me the can man, because anybody can get it. Africans, Americans, Dominicans, Mexicans, anybody can get it. See my eyes that this is going to be our toughest fight. Your eyes? You know. For your eyes is messed up. How am I seeing your eyes? And well, you see know, come on, let's be serious. Let's be serious. You know. On, you know. Let's be serious. Know. You know. Well, well, you will. So last night was meant to be a coronation of sorts for Daniel Dubois. It was meant to be the time where he cemented himself as the best British heavyweight not holding a belt. I know people would have raised arguments about, you know, is that Dillian or is that Daniel? But with the win last night, he would have been in that discussion and he would have had a strong constituency behind him. We wake up today and we realise that none of that happened and in fact, the reverse is true. We now got to start looking at Joe Joyce as being that preeminent guy that people probably don't want to fight now. And I know it's easy for us to do a massive inquest about why Dubois lost, and we should do that because that's kind of the headline here because of the way the fight was built up. But the truth is we need to congratulate Joe. Now, you've heard in the intro from a really good friend of mine, Dan Park, and Dan's known Joe probably from day one in boxing terms. You know, they've done hundreds of rounds together over four years five years I can't remember but year after year they'd spar and they'd work together Dan Dan knows Joe and no matter how many tweets I see how many betting slips I see there was only one person I spoke to who was adamant that Joe would win this and that he would win easily and it was Dan and that comes from that experience of having shared a ring with him and having seen how his career has developed ever since and you've got to respect that. And I just want to also shout out his business, which is Parker Photography and Video. Um, he might be the best videographer in a sporting and boxing sense out there right now. And if you are a boxer and you need someone to do your, your PR and your photography and so forth, definitely hit up Dan for, for any number of reasons. Well, number one, he knows the sport really well. Number two, he is an obsessive perfectionist, so everything comes out amazing. And number three, 
he might be one of the best boxing brains you can pick out there. So follow him. The link will be in the episode description, but it's at Parker Photo, if I remember correctly. But definitely follow me. He was spot on. Like, I tried to convince him. He ended up convincing me, if I'm being honest with you. So, you know, the voice note you heard there came probably about this time yesterday. And I was I was about to put money on Dubois to, to win and to win well. And then I started listening to Dan and then I started replaying it back in my head. And I started saying to myself, what do I think are important markers of success? And as I started to go through those, I realized Joe had probably ticked more of those boxes. So then I changed my betting and I chose... I actually chose Joe. I'm not going to say I chose him to win by stoppage. That was one of the bets I had. But I thought it would be a points decision. I thought it would be pretty close. I just think those guys match up really well. But I want to give Dan his credit because no one else in boxing was as adamant and as passionate about Joe winning. Maybe Sam Jones was, but Dan went harder than that. So just just a tip of the hat to Dan for that. But, you know, as I said before, please follow him because like I always say this the thing about the boxing community everyone's got to stick together and everyone's got to stay tight so we have to give Joe Joyce a massive amount of respect because this is the performance from him that has been coming for a long time and we now have to accept that the public got Joe horribly wrong and I know boxing fans like to think they know their sport because they watch loads of clips on YouTube and they follow really obscure boxing cards in this country or that country and they think they know stuff but what tends to happen with a lot of people on social media or when you meet them in person is they weave in their perception of a fighter with their ability so because Joe's quite awkward in front of the camera and his style looks ungainly you mark him down before you really understand what Joe's doing so he's always traded at a massive discount, a massive perception discount in the public's eyes. And hopefully this fight will be the one time where people get behind him. But it will probably be that irrational, you know, swing from loving Dubois to just hating him and then loving Joyce. You know, boxing fans don't do things in moderation and there's not much intellect that goes into the sport, unfortunately. But Joe outperformed public perception, so I'm happy for him in that sense. That is fantastic because it's a reminder you know, boxing's about what happens in the ring, not outside the ring. And in that sense, it was always going to be a tighter fight than people expected because the key question was, what happens if Joe's chin is the real deal? That was always the question in this fight. What happens if Joe Joyce's chin can take the best of what Daniel Dubois throws at it? It becomes a long night at the office for Daniel Dubois. That's the reality. Because when someone's got a chin like that, you've either got to find a way to last with them for the whole 12 rounds, or you've got to be creative in how you break them down, how you chop them down, how you drain them of their life force in that ring. So why is Joe trading at a discount? One of the things people don't realise is how much of a physical freak Joe Joyce is. I know when you see him, ascend the scale and he's the the best part of 18 stone and people say why is he so big he's naturally that big there are very few people in boxing that are classed as being giants um fury's one of them so fury's another guy who's just a physical giant even if fury was 6'6 he'd still be a giant he has 
huge hands. He's got huge wrists. Same thing as Joe Joyce. Joe's got these freakishly big hands and his forearms are probably the size of most people's calves, if that makes sense. And his, I mean, he's a big guy. He's got a big, he's got a big frame, a big skeleton. He could probably walk around at 2021 20, stone and still be in shape. And if you don't believe me, look, he's doing capoeira moves that God knows what weight he was on fight night, but he's doing capoeira moves. He could probably still do a backflip. You don't get that kind of performance unless you're naturally that big. You wouldn't see someone like AJ doing that. AJ may be you know, naturally as tall as Joe, but he hasn't got that same frame and structure. What, what Joe has is maybe the freakiest underlying physique. Like Forget what you see, but underneath in terms of bones and so forth, he's designed to be tough and hard. That's what he's designed for. And you saw that last night. You know, you can't overlook those physical gifts that he has. He's one of the few guys who probably doesn't need to take PEDs because he's just naturally that big. And if you look at him, Joe's muscles don't bulge and they don't pop and he doesn't look like he spends hours in a weight room. Joe Joyce looks like you imagine someone would look his size if they just did cardio. If they just did some pull-ups just did some dips, just did the bare minimum. He doesn't look like a guy that does 250 kilo deadlifts. And I think that also marks him down in the public's eyes because they compare him physically with how Joshua looks and they go, well, he doesn't look as good as Joshua, so I don't think he boxes as good. But Joe's naturally that big. AJ, if you, if you, really, if you took those guys away on an island and said, look, you're just going to live off the land, Joe would still be about 17 stone and Joshua would probably drift down to about top end of 15, bottom end of 16 because he's just naturally a smaller, more athletic guy. So you have to give Joe his credit for being that big guy who's able to use his, his size and his physicality to his advantage. I don't think Daniel quite had that. You know, Daniel was definitely the smaller man in that fight. But we've also ignored Joe Joyce's pedigree. Like, Wow. We've genuinely overlooked where Joe's come from. Now, I remember the early days of Joe. Like, they put Joe in early. Now, normally, when you're a big guy, they'll let you get about 10, 15 fights in before they start talking about you doing the ABAs, just because you, you need that experience, because when big guys punch, it can be over in one go. Now, I know that's a cliche, but it is it's a cliche because it's true. And so Joe entered a lot of these tournaments at the ABAs before you would normally put him in. But he was that good. And Sid Khan and the guys at Earlsfield, Andy Stables and so forth, uh, Eric Gandhi, were all of the view that this guy had something about him. And they put him in. And Joe toughed it out until he got that experience where he was comfortable in the ring. But he toughed it out. And that's what makes him the fighter that he is. It's that pedigree. Like he's... He's done it at an elite level while always being the underdog, while always being the guy that had less experience, while always being the guy that had the awkward style that people didn't really understand. And you can't coach that style. He just kind of found a way to win, which in the amateurs, coaches don't tend to like because they like you to be slick and be able to move through the gears. Joe was a guy that found a way to win. And that's a skill like George Grove's show. That's a skill that becomes essential in the pro ranks. 
So just to illustrate the point of, you know, how, how far and how fast he came through the amateurs. So 10 years ago, when, when McCracken had got his feet under the table at GB, they'd already kind of defined the succession plan. They were always going to put Joshua through for 2020, ABA champion, and Joshua was just wiping everyone out. So it looked like they could do something with him. You know, he had, above all else, he had the right mindset and McCracken loves that. So they were always going to put Joshua through for 2012. And they were going to put Fraser Clark through for 2016. And this is why Fraser Clark has been part of the GB setup for a decade. Because that was always the plan. Job set the apple cut because, and I can't remember, if I think it was the 2012 ABA final, where Joe basically ran over Fraser Clark. And they had a rematch probably a year later, ran over him again. To the point where it didn't make sense to have Fraser Clark as your number one heavyweight in GB while Joe Joyce was about, because you could just see that there was a guy who was better than him. But Joe's always been the guy that they didn't want in that squad. He just basically forced his way in. And then once he was in, much like Lawrence Okoli, knew he was fighting for his place with every fight. And that's why Joe's got all the accomplishments that he has as an amateur, because he's always had a point to prove, because people disrespect him. And maybe that's the fuel that drives him forward. But it meant that by the time he got to that Olympic final, he'd been proving people wrong all the time. And even in the final where Yoko was the favourite, he gave a good account of himself where we can say that the fight was close. I believe Yoko did enough to win. Other people don't. But it doesn't matter which way he was in that discussion, which considering he'd po- he, how long had he been boxing by that point? Six, seven years? And you're in an Olympic final. That's impressive. And so you can't take away from the reality, which is this guy had pedigree. And the kind of pedigree that if he boxed in the way that Joshua does, we'd be banging the drum about how much pedigree he's got. But because he's awkward, we try and discount that and downplay it. And I think it's time we revisit Joe and give him his due. Because imagine he'd won the gold the same people who laughed at his style will be telling you how Joshua couldn't read that style and how maybe Joyce would have beaten him in 2012 or, you know, if they'd met in 2016, Joyce would have still beaten him. If he'd won that gold, he'd have his, he'd have his constituency. And it'd be a lot of the anti-Joshua brigade. And I, I guess it kind of shows how, how childish boxing can be sometimes, where objectivity goes out the window and it's just about you forcing your agenda down everyone else's throat. And it's something we need to change because it poisons the sport and it takes people away from the sport at a time where we need as many people involved in supporting it as possible. And the reason I say all of that is just to say, Joe Joyce is a man that's always had a point to prove. Like the disrespect he's been shown by many sections of the boxing community for the Mexico, Mexican Joe thing, for the attempted salsa boxing, for, you know, the awkwardness in front of the camera, all of these things that people made fun of. And he stored that up and he channeled that hurt. You know, and I know because a few of the lads I've trained have been in camp with Joe, they know what he's like. Like you hear these, that everything you hear about Joe is positive. Great guy, really humble, calm, cool, but don't upset him because he remembers. He remembers everything because he's an intelligent guy. People forget this. Joe Joyce is an intelligent guy. He's got more than two brain cells to rub together. 
and that becomes a great quality when you're a professional because that level of intellect and that ability to understand what you're doing and why means that you know when to stick to the game plan, you know when to make adjustments and what adjustments to make. So kudos to Joe because all of this stuff is in him. But not much of this stuff is in Daniel Dubois. That's not to say Daniel's soft. It's just to say that the rockier road has been travelled by Joe. And when you take that rocky road and you take the risks that he did, Ian Lewis, Brian Jennings, uh, all of these guys that he's faced, he didn't have to do any of that. But it was the only way he was ever going to get his recognition, by taking that bumpy road. It's rare that an Olympic silver medalist becomes a perennial underdog. Like, that didn't happen to Riddick Bowe, did it? He wasn't a perennial underdog. And so it, it baffles me how we've managed to enable this myth about Joe not being that good to fester. And I'm glad that he's been able to show that he is. And I know people will now counter and go, but you said Dubois was special. And I stand by that. I think Dubois is a special talent. But when I come to talk about Daniel, I think it's only right that we speak about Joe first because Joe's the winner. And not that Joe was a comfortable winner, but you never really saw Joe troubled in that fight. It was a close fight, but you never really saw Joe troubled. He, he had a plan that he believed in and he stuck to it. And we shouldn't overlook that because a lot of people in this sport, in this country, would have struggled. And we could talk about in-depth tactics, but it was pretty simple. Team Joyce had, and I, I imagine this was Ishmael Salas, had basically said, if you take Dubois' jab away from him, what does he have? And so my, my belief, and I'm just throwing my training expertise in here, as limited as it is, I would draw up a list. And on one side, I'll have a list of things I think someone's good at. What are the things this fighter is good at? And I'll have that as one column. And the other column is what triggers that? And we will just train to make sure those triggers don't fire. So most of what Dubois does that's good comes off the jab. If you disrupt his jab, if you make his jab hard to land, if you stop him from throwing his jab, a lot of what he does falls apart because he's only been taught one thing, all off the jab. There's no adjustments. There's no, you know, fainting with the jab. There's no using the jab to move the arms around. There's none of that. So Joe was able to do that. And Joe will always be able to do that because Joe moves more than any other heavyweight out there. His engine is ridiculous. His ability to just keep pumping out a jab and even when he doesn't fully extend it, he hits heavy enough that you've got to react to everything. I think that's the first time Daniel's been in that position where he's had to react to everything. And that becomes draining when you're not used to it. And so that's all Joe did. Joe said, if I can hold my pace, I should be able to win this fight because no one can keep up with me. And as long as my chin holds out over 12 rounds, then... I'm the guy in the driving seat, especially as we get into the later rounds. I'm the guy in the driving seat. And because of Joe's style, he doesn't need a plan A, a plan B or a plan C because there isn't a heavyweight out there that can keep up with him. Not even Joshua. Fury at a push. But that's a hard night's work for Fury because, as we've said before, you've got to break Joe down. And we haven't seen Joe get broken down yet. We don't even know how it's possible because we haven't seen it. We know that it's something around 
jabs and one-twos and being active with those and being able to move away, but it's also about being able to punch going backwards with Joe. And a lot of people can't do that. And all the, all the tactics they seem to pull together worked. Being able to bully Daniel about, letting him know you're the stronger man in that ring, all these things start to chip away at the psychology of the fight. And your opponent starts to doubt himself because he's not used to any of this. So it wasn't exactly a, what I call a, a tactically complex fight. It didn't need to be. It was just simple. And it was just take away that jab. You take away the jab. You take away the power hand. You know, just make sure you're moving to your right so that power hand doesn't land flush. And so I don't think Joe took many of those flush. But all these small, subtle variations, and this is what, elite level boxing's about and Joe was better prepared for that than Daniel was but the most powerful thing Joe had was the mindset where he went out there to win he didn't go out there to to catch him he didn't go out there to stop him he didn't go out there to do anything else he went out there to win and when you go out there to win your benchmark is this the other person has to feel me and I want to know that for the next three or four days they're going to feel the pain because that's the only way I'm losing. I'm only losing to a guy who had to go to hell and back in order to beat me. And that was Joe's mindset. He, he was stoic in there and he just stuck to his guns and he kept forcing that pace. And you didn't see much change in him. You saw a lot of change in, in Dubois. And you could see in the fight, Daniel's kind of esteem kind of rise and fall depending on how much success he had. And Joe was a guy that remained consistent. And that's what you need. You need to be able to carry who you are and how you box all the way up the levels. And Joe seems to have been the guy that's done that best. It's difficult to say to what extent, because I think we need to see Joe fight again and we need to see Daniel fight again so we can get a proper gauge of where each man is at right now. But you have to give Joe his credit. He, he showed up, he delivered, and... He gave the fans what they wanted. Because it, while it wasn't a, a humdinger, it was such a compelling fight to watch because no one was out of it. That fight could have gone either way. And I hope boxing fans remember this. You know, there's going to be all this discussion about how the fight ended. But up until the point the fight ended, it was close. It was close and it was a fight worthy of the titles on the line. That's what we can say for certain. And Joe won. And Joe quite rightly won. And now we look forward to the amazing things that Joe can go and do with his career. He hasn't got as much time as some of the others. So we should be pushing for, for Joe to get the fights he deserves. Because he's never let the fans down. When he tells you he's going to win, the guy shows up and he wins. But while we have to praise Joe, and he's all deserved 100%. We need to talk about Daniel Dubois. We need to start talking about these grey clouds that are coming over Queensbury and BT Sport as we talk. So let's address the elephant in the room. Did Daniel Dubois quit last night? And my answer, quite honestly, is no. And I'm prepared for the responses. It should be like, you're saying that because he's your mate. Well, he's a 23-year-old kid, so not necessarily a mate, but he's a fighter I've got a lot of time for and a guy that I've known for a long time. But I don't think he quit. So we need to look at the, the typology of this thing that people like to call quitting. 
and it's normally triggered by some kind of adversity and maybe you're not winning in the fight or whatever it is right you're losing round after round and so forth and you know the second layer of it is the physical retreat so you start to go backwards and then there's that third bit that people call the quit and that's normally when you you literally just say no more right but there's a there's a progression to it like so if you watch and I'm just going to talk about people who admitted to quitting, so I'm not going to make a big fuss about this. So if you look at Dave Allen against David Price, Darren Barker said, mate, do you want to go on? And he was like, no, I can't. I really can't. Dave, Dave admitted that himself. He said, nah, nah, nah. Dave tapped out. But you could see he'd been going backwards in the whole fight, so you can understand that. O'Hara Davis v. Josh Taylor, something similar. Daniel was in the fight. He wasn't going backwards. I genuinely think he shut down. And people will say, oh, it's the same as quitting. It's not the same as quitting. I just think he got overwhelmed with everything. And this happens when you're in unfamiliar territory. You know, it's the same as if you drop someone in the middle of the Amazon jungle and said, mate, you've got to find your way out of here. You'll keep walking, but every sound is going to make you jump because you're trying to process stuff that's unfamiliar to you. And sometimes the brain can't cope. And the brain involuntarily just shuts down. And I think that's what happened with Dan. I think he just shut down. I think he just shut down. He broke. Whatever you want to call it, it happens. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever had this before where they've been doing an exercise. It might be shuttle runs. It might be on a rowing machine. And you get to this point of... Well, I don't even know how to describe it. Your body just goes, I can't do anymore. Sob this. And you, you just go, bing, and you stop. But as soon as you just gather your thoughts again, it might take a second or two, you're fine. And I can't explain it any other way than to say, it's almost like it's just sensory overload and your brain just goes, nah, stop. And I think that's what I saw yesterday. Now, I don't know if the eye socket's fractured, if it's broken. I don't know how bad the eye is. We need to wait and see. But that didn't look like a quit to me. That just looked like, there's just too much going on in my head. And the brain at that point just took over and said, mate, we're just shutting down operations. Until we can figure this thing out, we're shutting down operations. I don't think there's... I, I didn't see enough there to, to say quit. And anyone that does, you've got to show me the evidence. I think it's, it's an easy trope that people use. It's an easy trope that losers use to, to make themselves feel better. Oh, look at him. He quit. I would never have quit in that situation. Nah, I'd have carried on fighting. Nah, 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 nah. Stop all that. Stop all that. It's disrespectful. You know, the, the guy was still in the fight. He was still active and he was still competitive. So what happened? Probably just shut down. It happens. It happens to a lot of people. You know, we've seen it happen to marathon runners where they just break, you know, and they start going backwards through the field. Yeah, they'll finish the marathon, but it's not quite the same. You just break because a lot of things happened. Paula Radcliffe was notorious for this. But she's still the nation's darling. I don't hear people go, yeah, Paula Radcliffe quit. I mean, she still makes her money. So let's just have a sense of perspective over that. But the, but the story of the Dubois side of the fight for me is how everyone failed him. 
I've felt this for a long time, and as people know, if you've followed my podcast journey, you'll know I've known Daniel Dubois since 2015. Uh, probably before that, actually. Maybe 2014, I've known Daniel. I've known Daniel a long time. I've known the family a long time. I've got a lot of time for the family. I think they're a good family. And in a, in a climate where stories around black families tend to be negative, here's a good news story. And so I will always be supportive of that because that's a family that are doing things the right way. Now, I don't feel those around him are doing things the right way. And I've been saying this for a long time. And if you listen to the previous episode where I talk about training, a key part of boxing is education. Coaches need to be educated in a number of different approaches to boxing. It's not good enough that your dad learned off George Francis, who learned off some other old guy, who learned off some other old guy, because I don't know how good those motherfuckers were. Pardon my language, but I don't know how good those guys were. Okay? So when I see these old guys and they take these young fighters, and I see this all the time, they take them and they talk about all of this stuff that they've been doing since the 80s or the 70s, and I'm supposed to be impressed. I'm never impressed. Because I'm like, show me what you've done with all of that knowledge. Go on Twitter now. You see all of these guys putting up old pictures and it's Mark Kayla and it's, I don't even know. Uh, who are these old guys? Joe Bugner, uh, Henry Cooper. Jeez, um, these are Tony Simpson, will put Tony Oki, Crawford Ashley, whatever you want to put in there. You put all these names in. These guys always talk about how they worked with these guys. And until you ask them, what did you win with them? Ah, oh, well, we were just unlucky, politics and all that. There's always excuses, never results with a lot of these trainers. So I'm going to be brutally honest and say this. I think of all the people listening to this episode, 30% of you could train a fighter to a British title. I mean this. If I gave you a boxer today with no belts, and I got you with a good promoter, I think you could train a fighter to a British title. Three out of ten of you. It's not hard. You just need to be fit. You just need to have your basics together. And you need the right promoter. And you can win a British title. Not with just anyone. Because there are the boxers who can't. But if, you, if they were being honest, they'd say it's down to them and their inability to graft. That's the reality. It's not hard to train guys. What it is hard to do is to train someone beyond that. You can be a 4 out of 10 boxing coach and win a Commonwealth or a British title. But that's your ceiling. To win a European, you've got to be a 7 out of 10. To win a World, 8 or 9 out of 10. And it rises exponentially. The requirements rise exponentially. So you can have your own gym, yeah, and you can brand it all about and that's cool. But if you can't teach fighters how to box, if you yourself... Don't do the miles to go and learn different styles as a trainer. If you don't go and learn different things off different people and you believe you have your own style out the box, you're ruining your fighters. And Daniel's been ruined because what have they taught Daniel Dubois that he didn't already know? The jab he has, he's always had. He had that in the amateurs. Every punch I've seen Daniel throw in his professional career, he had already. What have they added to him? nothing there's no there's no clever head movement i don't see him switching angles and these are all things daniel can do i don't see him punching back going backwards 
He can do that. Against someone like Joe Joyce, who loves to come barreling forward, it just needs a couple of check hooks. Do you know what I mean? There are things he could have done that he knows how to do. Why is he not being taught this? Why is this not part of his training routine? And I'm saying this as someone who's been asking these questions for two years now. What is he learning then? My conclusion is nothing. I genuinely believe the guys that he trains with are probably giving him everything they can. There's nothing new they can add to him. Now, when you add up the number of years of experience those guys have, it should worry you that this is the best they can do. It worries me. Because I see the kids that walk in that gym and they expect these guys to, to take them to world titles. But then I'm like, what world titles are they taking people to? Maybe five fighters have come out of these gyms in East London that have gone on to win and hold on to world titles. That East, look, that whole East London, that South East London, that Essex, that Kent thing is a bit of a myth when you really strip it down. They always talk about this is the, the hotbed of boxing. No, it's not. Who? Who are these guys who have crossed over? Who are these guys that have gone on to world level? Like, the best of the bunch is still Kevin Mitchell. And if I'm correct, Kevin never won a world title. I don't want to hear none of this. He came close rubbish. He never won a world title. So what is this thing about being from that part of the world that's so great? I know people say, well, what about James DeGale? He's an Olympic gold medalist. He's, he's probably the first Olympic gold medalist who went backwards with his training camp. That's not all down to the trainers, but they didn't teach him anything new. And this is what Daniel Dubois suffered from. In his key development years, from 18 to 22, he learned nothing. His dad knows that. I'm sure his father knows that. He learned nothing. What we saw in that fight was him just doing more of the same and he knew this wasn't working. Daniel's not stupid. He's like, this ain't working. But you can't get creative in the ring. You can't. You can't come up with new ideas on the fly. That doesn't make sense. You have to do what you've trained for. They've had a year to prepare for this. They've had a year to have a plan and a second plan and a third plan and a fourth plan and they didn't. Maybe they can't. I would be very worried now if I was training out of certain gyms in London. And it might be true outside of London, I don't get to see that often enough. But within London, I'd be very worried. If I, look, in certain people's shoes, I take my gloves, I take my bag, I go to other gyms and I just see if there's anything I can learn from those guys. Not that I want to change trainers, but I want to educate myself. Because I need to, I'm, it's only Daniel Dubois and his family that can work out whether they're getting a good deal or not. I can offer my opinion but only they know for sure because they're closer to the detail. But he was let down by his training team. They could have done better. Both in the preparation to the fight, clearly, and within the fight execution itself, they could have done better. I don't think I'm saying anything out of turn here. They could have done better. Now, whether they want to, whether they're able to, I don't know. But I'm not paying them 10%. You know, I don't know what went wrong from a management perspective either. Like, let's just cut to the chase here. Marcus Kelly. 
Blaise Mendo, David Howe, Mauricio Brannigan, AJ Carter, Dorian Dodge, DL Jones, Tom Little, Kevin Johnson, Razvan Kojanu, Richard Larty, Nathan Gorman, Ebenezer Tete, Fujimoto, Ricardo Snyders, Joe Joyce. That's Daniel Dubois' record. So my question to you is, how much do you think the other 15 opponents cost? In total, 150 grand, 220 grand, 250 grand in total. Yeah? That is how much they have spent to develop Daniel Dubois, a guy they wanted to pin their pay-per-view hopes on. That's their investment budget in the guy that should have anchored BT Sport for the next 10 years. Now go back to every Frank Warren interview after Dubois fight. This kid's special. We'd put him in with Joshua now. We'd do this. We'd do that. There was no investment backing up that talk. Now you're a BT Sport exec and you're watching your prize asset, the guy they told you, look, this is why you're investing in us for this kid here. You're watching him just shut down in the 10th round against the guy that they told you was no good. And then you're saying to yourself, guys, how much have we spent on these cards? How much have we spent on boxing? And that number will be completely different. So my question is, where's the money gone? You're probably playing, you're probably playing Blaze what? what? How much are you paying Blaze? 10 grand, 12 grand to fight Dubois? How much are you paying DL Jones? Probably the same amount of money. Maybe even less. Where was the investment budget? Why didn't Dubois get Ian Lewison? Why didn't Dubois get Brian Jennings? Why didn't he get these guys? Where was the money? For all of Hearn's faults, and here's where you got to tip your hat off to Eddie Hearn, they put the money down for Joshua. And when that belt became available, they even paid Charles Martin a king's ransom and said, mate, just come over here and hand the belt over. But they put money in. Joshua made good money fighting Dillian. They, they, they made, they invested in Joshua. Sky invested in Joshua because they said, this guy's going to make us money on the pay-per-view side. Frank didn't do this. Now, why didn't he do it? Is the money not there? Or, or are we talking about BT Sport pumping a million into boxing and 400 grand gets spent on boxing? That's my question. It's just a question. I'm not making any assertions. It worries me that there's been no investment because if you go back, there's been no investment in Anthony Yard. BT Sport haven't invested in the right kind of opponents for Anthony Yard, even now after the Kovalev fight. What, you're telling me he's got to fight Dex Spellman and Lyndon Arthur? And this is no disrespect to Lyndon Arthur. I think Lyndon Arthur is super talented. I think Lyndon Arthur could win a British title. I don't dispute that. You don't fight Sergei Krusha Kovalev and then fight Lyndon Arthur. Like, that's, that's boxing backwards. So where's the money? And I wish, I wish Tunde would speak on this. Where's the money? 
Where's the money to make these fights? Let's go back. When Cyclone wanted to push Josh Taylor over the, over the line. They bid, what was it, 120, 140 grand to make Taylor versus Davis. They put the money up. And they made that money back through the World Boxing Super Series. That's how you build fighters. You sink money in at the beginning for development and you reap it at the end in your pay-per-views. So someone has to explain to me where the money is. If there's no budget, then I'd be getting the hell off BT Sport. And I say this because I worry about guys like Denzel Bentley. I worry about guys like Umar Sadiq. I worry about guys like Archie Sharp. I worry about guys like Dennis McCann. Where's the investment budget? Where's the money going? Because if I'm a BT Sports exec and I get my mates round to watch Daniel Dubois and I'm like, listen, Frank told me this kid is the next coming of Mike Tyson. He beats Joshua now. And I see that. I'm like, what the hell went wrong? Because let's say theoretically, Anthony Yard loses to Lyndon Arthur. I hope he doesn't because I quite like Anthony Yard, but then I like Lyndon Arthur too. Let's say he loses to Lyndon Arthur. BT Sport have no marquee names. I know we could talk about Fury, Frampton, but they're top-ranked guys. Frank has nothing at the moment because Joe's off to Sky. There's no question about that. Sam Jones, even Sam realises it. Sam's probably looking going, there's no investment budget here. Where's the investment budget? You're going to get me the right kind of opponents. I don't know. I have no time for this. And I want to give you a sense of perspective on this matter. They got Richard Larty for Fabio Wardley. I've never heard Fabio Wardley be talked about as a future world champion. He might become one. I hope he does. I like Fabio. But we talk about Fabio kind of getting to British level. Then let's see what he's got there. Dubois was being talked about as one of the great British heavyweights. And he had Richard Larty not that long ago. And now... Fabio Wardley's had him. Nathan Gorman's had him. That tells you the kind of opponent Lati is. Tete, all of these embarrassing opponents that Daniel's better than. But it meant that Daniel hasn't progressed. He hasn't been tested. He hasn't found out about himself yet. You've got to blame the promoter. You've got to blame the management. You've got to blame the training team. That's what ruined Daniel. That's why I didn't bore you with anything that he did wrong in the ring. And it doesn't matter. He was a rare talent. As a teenager, he was a rare talent that should have been built the right way. And he wasn't. And he wasn't because people didn't want to spend the money. Is that a BT thing? I don't know. BT don't strike me as a sort of company that don't invest properly. You know, we... You know, actually their broadband's terrible, so I take that back. But BT Stripe is a company that take things seriously. Like, if you have an investment proposal, that has to make sense. The way they're managing Queensbury on BT Sport is like an old boys club. And in those sorts of situations, I suspect that there's money leaking out left, right and centre. 
and the people who suffer, Daniel Dubois, Anthony Yard, and all the other guys, Jack Cattrall, all the other guys who've never been given a platform to excel. That's what went wrong. Nothing else. That's what went wrong for Daniel Dubois. They genuinely thought they could make him a world champion on the cheap. Now, is that so they could pocket the difference? I don't know. Don't ask me about that. But they try to do it on the cheap. And the thing about heavyweight boxing is it cannot be done on the cheap. To get Fury to where he is now has not been cheap for the guys around him. To get Wilder to where he was has not been cheap for the people around him. To get Dillian to where he is has not been cheap for the guys around him. To get Joshua, we already know the numbers that was behind Joshua. So once again, I ask this question. Who's putting the money into Daniel Dubois? It was an absolute joke. It was an absolute joke. And they've ruined a young man. The only consolation is if you were ever going to take a loss in your career, it's at this point in your career and it is to that opponent. Because I believe that Joe is better than what he showed yesterday. And you would put Joe in with Dillian tomorrow. You would put Joe in with Joshua tomorrow. You would put Joe in with Luis Ortiz tomorrow. You would put Joe in with anyone tomorrow and give him a chance of winning. That's the only comfort you take from this, is that Daniel lost to a pretty good talent. This is probably the ideal time to take that out, rebuild and come back. I'd like to see Daniel just do nothing with boxing for about six months, go and enjoy himself, just go and learn about the world, learn about himself, find his hunger again, come back and decide what he wants to do. And I pray to God he finds a new team because he's been let down badly. <laughs>